How did a group of young girls seemingly destroy the state of Massachusetts in the 1600s? Let's find out. What is happening, you beautiful bastards? God, you Welcome back to Beautiful Bastards. Now, today we're talking about the Salem witch trials, but before we get into that topic, uh, you've heard you've heard us talk about how uh, there's some things going on in Myanmar, and recently they experienced a military coup. So we just wanted to put out a brief message before we really get into what we're actually talking about today. Grizz, what do you got for us? So for any of you who have been listening to the show, you probably know who Chris Blood is. And his wife, Sue, is from Myanmar. And as we've talked about, they had a coup go on, what was it, the 1st of February? Yeah, I think um, it was. And now they're completely a blackout country. No internet. There's no communications going in. No communications coming out. Military is controlling everything. They have the pretty much all the political leaders in prison. And uh, shit's not good, right? It's pretty bad. And Sue, Chris's wife, her parents are still over in the country. And obviously she's tied to the country, so she's got a pretty deep feeling on all this. And she's starting up a fund to basically try to get food to people over there right now uh, is the, the gist of it. And this is probably one of the only charities... Uh, if you want to call it that, that you know all the money is actually going to go towards what it's supposed to go towards. Um, so we here in Beautiful Bastards will be donating our own money towards this cause. It's a good cause. Uh, you know, those people right now need whatever they can get, and a little goes a long way. So if you guys could join in, help out however you can. Um, we're going to be posting the information for donations on Facebook as well as on our website and Twitter, Jerry? Absolutely. It'll cool. all be up on all the socials and the website. Um, but she's basically doing a Venmo for it. And like I said, she's going to be sending uh, food and whatever else she can over to the people over in Myanmar to uh, help out. So if you guys can help out, it'd be a lot of be appreciated. Today on Beautiful Bastards, we're talking about the Salem Witch Trials. So this all started back in the spring of 1692. And this was the beginning of a wild mass hysteria in what was then known as Salem Village? Yes. Massachusetts? <laughs> that lasted until May of 1693. And uh, the Salem Witch Trials is a brutal reminder of the dangers of family feuds, isolationism, and occult mentality. Three of our favorite things. Living near a cunt. So a lot of crazy things happened in that short window in time in Salem. It was roughly 13 months. 169 men, women, and children were accused of witchcraft. And depending on where you read it, the number really goes over 200 people. But it's confirmed that 19 of them were convicted and sentenced to death and executed. Uh, of course, none of them were actually witches, but superstition, fear, and jealousy, combined with religious tensions and incredibly unfortunate timing, for a likely ergot outbreak, was the perfect recipe for 17th century disaster. There's usually a lot of confusion surrounding the Salem witch trials, and it turns out that nobody was executed by being burned at the stake, among other things. Uh, 
Be an as awful we found way to go. <laughs> as as we found on uh in doing our research, there was there's a lot of misinformation regarding the Salem witch trials. Pretty much you can take any five sources of information and they're not all going to be exactly the same. So we kind of try and pick through what we were looking at to figure out what seemed like it was probably what actually happened. Um, so no, no, nobody was actually burned at the stake here in America. All 19 victims were killed by hanging. It was uh, one crushing. True. That doesn't count as an execution. That was, that was interrogation. That guy, it could technically be suicide. <laughs> uh, I'm actually, I'm going to get into that and why he let that happen instead of pleading, but we'll get there. He's the man. <laughs> so it was actually our medieval friends across the pond who burned people in their own witch hunt from about the 1560s to the early 1700s. Uh, medieval law codes like the Roman Empire's Constitutio Criminalis Carolina declared that malevolent witchcraft should be punished by fire. So the government and church leaders oversaw witch burning all over Europe. And that little event claimed somewhere between 50 to 100,000 lives. Yeah, small change considering <laughs> the other things that were killing people. So all things considered, Salem witches had a comparatively pleasant execution. <laughs> it was actually the witch trial tests that highlighted the genius creativity of early Americans in New England. Some of those extremely scientific and logic-based tests were things like the swimming test, the prayer test, the touch test, incantations, and a few other bizarre things that could really only come from the minds of 17th century Puritans. Now, before we get into the timeline of events on this thing, Let's look at some of the context of the times that allowed this to happen. And oddly enough, some of the religious and political issues in England that added to the Salem witch trials played a historical part in next week's episode on the Troubles in Ireland. So New England, especially in the Massachusetts area, was settled by Puritans. And Puritans were English Protestants who were committed to purifying the Church of England by eliminating Catholicism from Christianity. Basically, a hyper-religious group of people that isolated themselves from an already hyper-religious faith. What they wanted, and why they settled New England, was to have a strict Bible-based society modeled on their Puritan ideas. So, already we have the start of a fantastic cult. Did you look into the Puritans very much? Uh, just a little bit. I mean, it, it did play a big part in how they viewed things. Uh, uh, what, do you, what do you want to say about it? So, at, at Jerry said they separated from the, the church in England. Uh, they were basically known as the negative Nancys of back then, and they were, this is my favorite part, once described as someone who is fearful of someone somewhere else having fun. <laughs> That's a pretty accurate description, actually. Man, these people sound so fucking nice. <laughs> well, they actually settled Massachusetts Bay Colony under the 1929 Royal Charter, and it worked for them. They got to control aspects of everyday life and shame sinners as much as they wanted until that charter was vacated in 1684, leading to England's King James II to put Sir Edmund Andros in charge as governor of New England. And uh, unfortunately for Sir Edmund, that would only he'd only live the high life until about 1689. And that's the year of the Glorious Revolution, which is their words, not ours. Uh, it's actually a pretty mundane revolution. It was more like a, a sneak attack, a sneaky coup. Nobody actually died, so to speak. There were a few casualties like any coup, but there was, there was no battle. So, Grizz, this is what I was telling you earlier. This ties directly into next week's episode. 
So the Glorious Revolution was a huge deal for the world going forward because it was a revolution that removed the Catholic King James II from the throne and replaced him with the Protestant King William II. To those sinners and blasphemers among us who don't uh, belong to any religion, these are two competing faiths with opposing ideologies, but they're both based in Christianity. Now, once this switch happened, it set the stage for New England to go insane over witchcraft. When the revolution led to Sir Edmund Andros getting kicked to the curb, it left a small power vacuum that a man named Increase Mather and his friend William Phipps helped fill. They had been working for about four years on a new charter for the Massachusetts Bay Area, and they managed to get approval for it on October 16th of 1691, and by 1692, William Phipps was sworn in as governor. Uh, but those sneaky bastards were batshit crazy. So <laughs> not only did we have the world stage set to set us up for this absurd insanity, but Increase Mather was so entrenched in the superstition and fear of witchcraft that he even published a book about it in, in 1684. He also and his has son, a very interesting name. <laughs> yeah, I actually had to read that a few times because I thought it was a typo. Yeah. But his first name is the word Increase. Yeah. Strange times. Uh, but his son, Cotton, also published one of the same topics uh, in his own book in 1689. And Increase Mather is the same guy who stated that he handpicked every man to play a role in the new government outlined by this new charter that he's now in charge of. Uh, so now we see there was a clear path leading to all the wrong people being put in charge of a place that was already stressed to the max because of their own local and religious issues. We have a man who is obsessed with rooting out witchcraft to the point where he published a book on it and pushed another written by his own son, weaseling his way into power in an already cult community. So, you know, this is setting themselves up for an epic failure here. Oh, it's great. The, the cult vibe is so, so good. As Why we get further into... Have religion? <laughs> well, I mean, you got to have something to believe in. I mean, is it just the blind faith? Oh, yeah, God told me I had to have sex with you. Uh, unless it was the devil, then the, the devil told you, I have to have sex with you. Someone's yeah. going to tell you to do it. You can't do it on your own. That's true. And I've never once in my life had sex without being told by a deity, I have to do it. Keanu doesn't count. <laughs> Keanu is a, a pure man. He's never had sex. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to the actual events that unfolded and led to countless Hollywood hits. So tensions in Salem Village and Salem Town were already high before the Glorious Revolution, and there were countless internal town disputes and disputes between the village and the town. Because of the cunts that lived in Salem Village. <laughs> yes, the Salem Village cunts. That's probably what they were called. I'm I sure that was a normal it. word then. <laughs> so people were arguing over property lines and grazing rights, which has kind of been an eternal argument everywhere. Uh, and, of course, the typical arguments over church privileges. But on top of those constant issues, Salem couldn't keep a church leader to save their souls. No, they couldn't. <laughs> it was a revolving door of ministers over there because, for one, the congregation failed to pay an agreed-upon rate so a minister would quit. Or, if they did pay, the parish would not ordain the minister, also leading them to quit. Because it turns out, ministers can't survive on Jesus alone. They also need to get paid and have somewhere to live. Yeah, but they usually yeah. paid them in, like... It wasn't like, hey, here's your money. It's like, here's a house and some wood. Yeah, the uh, average that I was looking at was about 30% money, 60% everything else. Yeah. And then 10% peddling witchcraft. <laughs> so, we needed to take uh, out Mary. She's, she's a bitch. 
And if that wasn't bad enough, one of the ministers, George Burroughs, was later executed for witchcraft. So you can see why they had some issues keeping one. He was one of he the actually, last people to be executed for witchcraft. He was, uh, but he served that congregation from 1680 to 1683, and they fucking killed him. <laughs> Which kills me, because so he served it, leaves. We haven't even gotten into the, the witchcraft part yet. He, he serves the community. He says, God, these people, <laughs> he's a man of God, and he still goes, these people suck so bad. I got to get the fuck out of here. And they somehow bring him back and fucking hang his ass. They hunted him, him down and brought him right back. He was not getting away with that shit. Uh, they did settle on a long-term minister, though. And it was none other than Cotton Mather, the most badass motherfucker to ever hunt a witch. And son of Increase Mather, the diabolical political chess master. Yeah, but the way, that was after... Before him, it was Paris, wasn't it? Yeah. That, I'm Paris, just saying that's who they settled on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get into who this guy Paris is, but... Yeah, Cotton Mather is the one who ended up the long-term minister. And he actually... Oddly enough, he was part of starting this crazy riot that lasted a year. Uh, but he was also one of the sensible people who ended it. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Cotton is actually a pretty interesting guy. He had a lot of ideas about religion and witchcraft, and he was not afraid to talk about it. He also wasn't afraid to peddle his ideas in conveniently prepared pamphlets. Yes, that's right. He had the highest quality pamphlets for any passersby that might consider learning about Jesus or witches. He also went to Harvard at 10. I didn't even know that was yeah, a thing. Things were different back then. Uh, he, of course, pushed his book uh, that I mentioned earlier, titled Memorable Providences Relating to Witchcrafts and Possessions. So here we know he's already a very level-headed person. I guess back then, though, it's, that's the thing. I would say that was probably the normal back then, man. Uh, if you listen to how he talked about it, though, you'd swear he was a witch, too. Uh, in his book, he described his oracular observations, oracular being like an oracle, and he described how stupendous witchcraft had affected the children of John Goodwin, a mason from Boston back in 1688. And the way he recounted the story about John Goodwin, his kids had been affected by the curse of a witch and re had required the greatest minister in the land, Cotton, the demon slayer Mather, to exercise their demons. And he did. They were saved. When he stepped uh, they, into a building back then, did fireworks go off and flames shoot out of the floor? Yes. And oddly enough for that, they didn't assume he was possessed. They were just like, oh, it's Big Man Mathers. <laughs> Sunday, uh, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> uh, John Goodwin's uh, kids who were actually uh, quote unquote possessed. Uh, they even described themselves as being pleased with the case, considering a textbook example of righteousness overcoming the devil. <laughs> it's just absurd. I, I can't even get my head around how ridiculous these people were. It, it all comes down to just like, I, I don't have a problem with religion. For the people who need religion out there, like, great, do your thing. If you need it, more power to you. But when it gets <laughs> entrenched in like, it, that's all there is. It does not uh, harbor good things. No, not really. Uh, so now we, we've got an idea of the people that we have running around here. So let's skip forward in time again and head back to 1692, where our story in Salem really picks up. Uh, the first people affected by the curse of a witch in the village, that's Salem Village, were 9-year-old Betty Page and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, cousins and the daughter and niece of the good Reverend Samuel Paris. And he's quite an interesting guy. Samuel Paris is the 
reverend in Salem Village. He's also a failed businessman who moved from Barbados up to Massachusetts. Makes sense. I'll follow this guy wherever he goes. We'll, we'll, we'll go a little bit back. But June 18th, 19, or 1689, the villagers agreed to hire Paris for 66 pounds annually. One third in money and the other two parts in provisions, which is basically wood. They also gave him uh, a, a house. But a majority of the town didn't agree on what they paid him. They, they gave him a, a start salary and then they kind of kept changing it on him like they had with the last two. But he knew he had nowhere else to go. He started pushing this narrative in the town, driving the town further into fear, right? Basically just telling them, you need to fear Satan. Satan's coming for you. Constantly fear Satan, right? And this dude is preaching it constantly. So his daughter and niece, who were both live with him, Betty Paris, which is nine, Abigail, I didn't get an age on her. She's 11 at, She's this, 11. at the time this happened. Yeah. Um, so they live with her, with Samuel Paris. Now he also has a slave in the house who is... Tibita? Tibita? Tichiba. Tichiba. Yeah, I had to look that pronunciation up because uh, it's a 17th century Caribbean name. I had no idea what to do with yeah. it. Yeah, so, um, which she's uh, Barboan, I think is the correct way to say it. But they call her Tichiba Indian because, you know, she was darker color, so we'll call her Indian. Makes sense, right? So... Tichiba basically raises these kids. She does everything with the kids. And actually, his wife was quite ill. I don't know what her, her sickness was, but she basically couldn't do much around the house. It's probably because they just moved from a tropical island to Massachusetts in the 60s. That would make me sick, too. Yeah. I hate New England. <laughs> cold <laughs> as hell. It's actually one of the coldest winters they had had in quite some time. But anyways, so... Your old man's upstairs, wherever, and he's just preaching fucking Satan's going to kill you. Satan's coming for you the whole damn time. You're going to start getting in your head that Satan's coming for you. That's all these little girls here. And one day they're playing with a group of other girls. I think it was four girls in total. We didn't get I didn't get the names of the other girls. Did you? I did. Um, let me just go through my notes while you talk about it. I'll, I'll inform so you. Anyways, one I know day, one was uh, Ann Putnam Jr. Yes. And and Ann Putnam is one of the big ones. That little bitch. Yeah, she basically ran with it. So anyways, uh, the girls are playing upstairs, and they believe they're going to get in trouble for something they did. And next thing you know, they all start having a fit because they're scared shitless that they're either going to get beaten, which is probably relatively normal back then, or just in trouble for what they were doing. And nowadays, they're thinking, oh, God, Satan's going to kill me. Or take over my body or do whatever the hell he wants. So they start freaking the fuck out to where Samuel Paris comes in that in the room to find them all basically having a fit to where they're convulsing, they're they're catatonic, they're 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 scratching at the walls, just doing all sorts of almost paranormal like things. And he's sitting there going, What in the fuck did I just walk into? <laughs> He's a God-fearing man, so of course, Satan's doing this. And he takes the girls over to the, the town doctor, which, as we all know back then, very scientific. <laughs> he finds out that he can't give them cocaine to fix what they have. They must be bewitched. Because, of course, he's also highly religious. 
Uh, as is everybody back then. Uh, yeah. And if you weren't, you're fucked. Absolutely. It's a terrible time to be alive, in my opinion. So now these girls are all bewitched. And yes, and they were actually uh, they were exhibiting classic symptoms of bewitchment, uh, which you don't see too often anymore. I just wanted to point out what those symptoms were. Oh, yes. uh, they were they were giving coy, side-eyed smiles to people. They were twitching their noses. Uh, and they had begun wearing high heels and doing chores around the house in a suspiciously pleasant mood. Did, did they wear pointy hats? Wait, no, they didn't. They weren't the witches. Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry. I was confusing bewitchment with uh, the classic television show. Uh, that's not exactly an accurate uh, representation. They talked to they were actually They were actually having fits or seizures that included violent contortions and uncontrollable screaming fits. They were crawling around under furniture and uttering strange noises and complaining about phantom pinches and pinpricks. And after witnessing this insanity, uh, Dr. William Griggs, who you had mentioned, he w- that was when he was called to uh, evaluate them mm-hmm. and determined that they were just bewitched. Uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, he expertly determined that uh, using various scientific methods. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, but before we continue, I wanted to point something out here about these symptoms. Uh, you know, a little common sense break for this part of the story, point this out. The 17th century was not really known for sound scientific assessments. What? <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm sure that comes as a surprise to the listeners, but no, it wasn't. Uh, but I brought up ergot poisoning earlier, um, and actually, what was that, episode two? Two. I actually, the, the ergot theory I find fascinating. I don't know if it's... It's highly likely. Yeah, I so think here's a, it takes part in it, but I don't know if it's all to blame. No, but let me just break down the list of symptoms here. Uh, these are symptoms resulting from long-term ergot poisoning. Well, so they we include, should go into also the fact that ergot is a fungus that grows on crops. And you we literally wouldn't even know it was there. And it grows on the so, crops that they would have been eating at this time. And that's how you get long-term ergot poisoning. So these symptoms include painful seizures and spasms, diarrhea, paresthesias, which is a sensation of tingling, pricking, chilling, burning, or numbness on the skin, mania or psychosis, and central nervous system effects. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Mm. Well, ergot used to be a big problem before the Industrial Revolution, and sometimes it still is. Uh, As we learned way back in episode two on psychedelics, ergot is a fungus that grows on rye, and most people have no idea it can even be a problem back then or now. And in 1976, there was a study published in the Science Magazine linking ergot to the Salem Witch Trials. So that's just another piece of this demonic puzzle for the listeners to kind of understand where the fuck this came from. Well, I also think it kind of, look who got affected first, the kids and mm-hmm. women. So the the accusers, these these girls, it wasn't just little girls in the beginning. It later became full-grown women who were starting to accuse people. They never, I never heard of any instances where a man was becoming an accuser. But who would it affect no. first? Uh, you know what I mean? To me, if you were, if the whole town's ingesting it, the kids are going to get hit first, and then the women are going to get hit, and then finally the men are going to lose their minds. Yeah, and that's roughly how it went. Uh, and actually, one of the reasons that they were blaming women more so than men, uh, back then, especially in the Puritan uh, communities, they had this very specific belief about, I, I guess you can call it demonic possession or uh, demonic influence. Well, I'm not even talking because they blamed men and women. I'm saying the accusers, the, pe- the, yeah. the people that did the accusing, it was all women. 
Right. That's so well, that that comes down to certain other aspects too. Yeah. Uh, but back then in the Puritan community, they uh, they had this idea that anybody could be affected by the devil, but women in particular were far weaker than men and had a much harder time resisting it. Of course, and women are the you, devil. <laughs> uh, listeners, I'm sorry we don't share the same ideas. I love women. I do too. You're all evil. <laughs> uh, so, go ahead, Chris. Back to what you were saying. Uh... The three people that ended up being accused by these girls. Let's talk about that. Uh-huh, yes. All right. Well, so we get to the point where, I don't know if they did it, we had a town meeting about the fact that these girls were like losing their shit. Or if it was church or what. I don't know if you found out anything about that. But so these girls are losing their shit and they're trying to find out who, you know, they're bewitched. So someone had to bewitch them. So they're trying to get it out of these girls. And finally, I believe they get it out of Ann Putnam Jr. first. Uh, who? Uh, Elizabeth Hubbard was the fourth girl. Elizabeth Hubbard. There you go. Um, That's right. So they get it out of Ann Putnam Jr., who the who who bewitched them, and at the time they name Tituba, Indian, Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. Both Sarahs were neighbors of the Parises, and now, also not in good standing in the town. That's actually so. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty much the main idea here behind historians that at least half of these girls were making it up and acting. But the reason that it was so believable was the people that they chose to accuse. So we have Tichiba, who is essentially a Caribbean slave of Samuel Paris. But these other two Sarahs, uh, one is a homeless beggar, and the other is an old woman nobody liked because she wasn't strictly Puritan. Mm-hmm. Sarah Good, who was arrested along with Tichiba around the same time, she was a beggar who was looked down on by the town for her financial instability and her debts. And if you're Puritan, those things are big sins for them. Sarah Osborne was involved in a dispute with her children over their dead father's estate and was stigmatized for an affair with an indentured servant. So that's kind of paints a bigger picture of that's why these women were singled out and easy to choose. Had to pick anyone in the town, that's who you would have picked. Tichuba didn't actually wasn't a Puritan, so of course she's what the devil's work. (laughs) This other woman's basically homeless, and the other one's just uh, you know another bitch. Pretty much. Now, so Tichuba actually confessed under interrogation, interrogation, quote unquote. Yeah, she was uh, beaten by Samuel Paris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Tichuba, being from somewhere around the Caribbean, uh, it's not it's not ever really clear exactly where she's from. Uh, maybe Barbados is yeah, the most say, likely I, place. I heard Barbados. Uh, I, multiple sources had multiple different things. Uh, but she, So she was familiar with the idea of magic because down that area, it's close to the whole... Uh, idea of voodoo uh, but she used her knowledge actually of uh, black magic to help the people of salem root out all those evil witches and her story changes like i said depending on where you read it but it's also said that she really got into character when her master paris started beating the confession out of her uh, so she would say things like she signed a pact with the devil she was recru- recruited by a red and a black rat and she pinched the girls uh, so she sat in prison for about 13 months, but she ended up being freed by the end of the thing, uh, this whole thing. Freed. And it actually surprised me. <laughs> yes. she. So she wasn't murdered. It surprised me, though, that she wasn't executed based on the things that happened and the way people of the time viewed Native Americans and black people. The only reason but, she wasn't murdered, though, was because 
they they decided that if they if you would confess that you were a witch, they were saving you for the end. They they wanted the ones that were lying, saying they weren't witches. They wanted to burn them at you know not literally. They wanted to murder them to prove a point. And uh, they actually used Tichuba's knowledge of magic to, we'll call it, root out all these witches, like I said earlier. Uh, of course, most of the shit Tichuba made up about people being witches was made up because she knew the longer she did this, the longer she'd live. Smart woman. Yeah. Um, and to answer your question earlier, uh, they found this information out in an in actual court. Uh, that was presided over by Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne. Uh, so they questioned these women in court in front of the accusers. And yes. it's kind of assumed historically that some of these acu accusers were faking, especially the young girls. I think they were and always helped... faking. I don't know about the the actual reverend's kids. I think that was just, uh, I think the situation with the reverend was a primer and they had ergot poisoning. And what do you think is going to happen if you're taking some kind of psychedelic and all you think about is demonic possession? Agreed. But that's still faking. Mm, yeah, you, it's mental. To them, it's real. Yeah. So, um, this mass, it, that's what drove this mass hysteria. Uh, and, and also because of the family feuds that went on. But the, uh, they were described in court as putting on a grand display of spasms, contortions, screaming, and writhing. Uh, so these poor women accused of witchcraft had to be questioned in a room full of people suffering from ergotism and mental instability. And that was when Tichuba confessed and implicated all these other witches. And she was probably doing it to save her own life. Um, and that triggered the spread of the statewide pandemic. And Grizz, you know what Quentin Tarantino would say in a situation like this, oh, right? God, no. <laughs> we are all gonna die! <laughs> Surprise! I'm amazed they didn't kill more than they did. Well... We'll the whole idea that. of hunting witches was a, a bit of a dying thing at the time. We'll, we'll get into why more didn't die. So from there we go on, on a quite literal witch hunt for the next probably eight months, blaming anyone who either questions them into what they saying the girls are making it up, faking it, or doing anything that they don't want to do, which is probably a lot of people, or at least a lot of the women anyways. And Ann Putnam Jr., who is the daughter of Thomas Putnam, who Thomas Putnam is a Puritan who pretty much hates everyone in the town that isn't part of his family. And it seems like he kind of feeds his daughter with a whole lot of names that they start accusing, or she starts accusing, anytime she's given a chance to, into the this, you know, being witches. She's a good actor. Yeah, well, listen, she's got a lot of heads on her plate. Who were the next two that she accused? So the next people that she accused were uh, Martha Corey and Abigail Williams actually accuses Rebecca Nurse. Oh, does she? Which is interesting yep. because the Putnams had a, or sorry, the Parises. No, it is the Putnams. The Putnams had a huge issue with the Nurse family. In case you hadn't noticed, this is hard to keep track of. Yeah, this there's is a very, lot of names. This is very mothers, brothers, cousins, friends, aunt, sister. Well, yeah, everyone, dude, fucking one of the people in this has, is having kids at like fucking 60. <laughs> this is at so, the yeah, point. So, yeah, so Martha Corey. This is at the okay. point in life where you're having kids because you need someone to work on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hire people, you birth them. <laughs> well, at least then they have, they can't get away. You can't fire them and they can't quit. 
So anyways, Martha Corey. Uh, and roughly around the same time, Sarah Good, who we mentioned earlier, her four-year-old daughter is implicated and accused of witchcraft. <laughs> also, she's homeless, <laughs> so eh, let's get rid of her too. That little monster. Now, Rebecca and Martha, actually, Grizz, they were pretty scary for the Puritans. Uh, up until that point, the accused had been all these slaves, ba- vagabonds, and weird old cat ladies. Uh, but these two, Rebecca and Martha, they were kind of a turning point. So they were two upstanding, diligent, and active church members. Yeah. And so, like any sensible society that would never see this info and say, hey, something doesn't make sense here, what they actually said was, hey now, if the devil can infiltrate our finest members, then anyone can be a witch. <laughs> and then it ran they were fucking wild. dumb. <laughs> and that was kind of the turning point where it went just from accusing the lower members of society to absolutely fucking everyone. Yeah, literally anyone who wronged them. They go through this period of trials with all sorts of people it doesn't it's not just limited to women it hits women children men um and probably one of the more interesting ones before we go into the evidence (laughs) that i find was giles Corey. so giles's wife accused the, the girls of of basically making it all up so of course his wife gets you know up she's a witch now great while trying to convince the town that his wife is not fucking a witch, Giles Corey is now convinced is now accused of being a witch. This is an old dude who's just pissed that he has to give up wood to the fucking reverend in town. He goes to court, and they try to. He needs to uh, plead innocent or guilty. Right, the court is requiring him to do so, and he just refuses. He won't say a word. But he sits there and he, no, I'm not giving you the satisfaction of pleading guilty or not guilty at all. He knows if he pleads not guilty, he's going to die. And if he pleads guilty, he's going to be, he's just shamed and he's lying. He'll be alive, but that's it. So the court decides, fine, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to kill you right now. We're not going to put you in jail. We're going to go lay you under some stones. Uh, This actually has a very specific name. Yes. And it's very, uh. There's a popular way of interrogating a witch back then. It's called pressing. Well, they also called it something so, else. I can't remember it. It was a uh, pain by by punish or was it punishment by pain, something like that? Yeah, they had some really fancy names. Uh, but pressing involves tying someone to the floor by their ankles and wrists, and then placing a board on their torso, and you slowly add heavy stones until they plea out or they die. Uh, he died. He did die, but. They, so he's sitting there. He it goes over a couple days, to where they're just giving him water and bread, and he gets water one day, bread the other. And every day they come up to him multiple times in the day, and they say to him, "How do you plead?" And he looks them in the eye and says, "More weight." <laughs> what a badass! He's just like, "Fuck he you guys! To- I'm done with you! Fucking kill me already!" <laughs> now you might be asking, why wouldn't he just confess or plead out? So. A lot of people who confessed to witchcraft were given the option to reform. So, you know, why wouldn't you just confess to it? Uh, Giles was an upstanding member of the church, but he chose to die instead of pleading guilty or not guilty. And there's a very specific reason for that. Uh, for one, it's a middle finger to the people who did it. But also, God there's, a little background, there's a little background on this situation, especially when it comes to the 
elaborate ways they tortured and terror uh they tor- tortured confessions out of these people so at this time in the united states we were still heavily tied to england and we were following english rules and he would be, he would have been risking everything for his family by pleading the laws were written in a way that if you plead either way and you die the government gets to keep all your property leaving your family with nothing yeah that's how you now paid if you, for your jail time now if you don't plea out and you just die, which he did, your family keeps all your property and money. And it's a weird rule, but uh, you know, if you know you're either going to die in interrogation or die on Gallows Hill, then yeah, I would hold out too, because you're going to die, no doubt about it. So you can either die and take all your shit with you by giving it to the state, or die and leave it all to your family. So Giles, badass motherfucker that he was, would never plead out. He would just ask for more weight. Yeah, because that went back then when they came and arrested you, they'd actually confiscate your materials to pay for your jail time. Which they would. Why do we not do that now? <laughs> now, to give you an idea of what this pressing was like, the average person would die at about 450 pounds of a slow suffocation. So you're talking about 450 pounds of weight sitting on your chest and rib cage for days or weeks. Uh, but I did find one interesting anecdote that was from England during their own witch trials. There was one woman who beat out everybody. She's got the record. She had almost 800 pounds before she died. Because again, she wouldn't plead out either for the same reason. She, I don't think she ever asked for more weight, but she would never plead out. (laughs) Don't deny women their thing. She didn't die right away either. She had this weight on her chest for days before she went. Come on, I already told them they're evil. I got to give them something. <laughs> All right, you guys can have it. <laughs> Badasses take shit tons of weight on your chest. Well, they do that anyways. <laughs> so that was the story of Giles. Giles Corey. So we have all kinds of accusations flying around. And as kind of uh, a direct result of this, in May of 1692... Our esteemed friend William Phipps, who we learned earlier is now the governor in charge of everything, he decided to establish a special court to hear and decide on witchcraft cases in the state of Massachusetts. Which is interesting because he believes himself to be a scientific man. Well, back then, the devil was science. (laughs) So this court sees the appointment of presiding judges John Hawthorne and Samuel Sewell and William Stoughton. And... That was actually part of the court where Giles Corey was interrogated. Uh, And then one month later, on June 2nd, 1692, they convicted their first witch. And Bridget, her name was Bridget Bishop. She was actually interrogated at the same time as Giles Corey. He was not convicted because he died during interrogation. Uh, She was hanged eight days after her conviction on the soon-to-be infamous Gallows Hill in Salem Town, where the upper class lived, not Salem Village. Her death was followed by five more people in July, five in August, and then eight in September. But of course, beyond that, seven other witches died in jail during interrogation or just due to conditions. The people that actually went and they were examined with Giles Corey were Abigail Hobbs, Bridget Bishop, who was the first to be executed, and Mary Warren. Hobbs actually confessed to practicing witchcraft. And then Mary Warren, under pressure and accusations now of witchcraft herself, reversed her statement made that she did in April and rejoined the accusers. So one thing that was going on was 
if you were typically an upstanding citizen and you got accused of witchcraft, really all you have to do is roll over on somebody and you get a chance at reform. I don't really know how a Puritan reforms you. Probably beat you with a switch and tell you not to do it again. So one thing with the Hawthorne, she was, um, she lived with John Proctor, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> she starts throwing fits like the rest of the girls. I believe she was a little bit older, I think 17. Yeah. And John Proctor, who we'll learn of, he's in his 60s, I believe, says, I'm going to beat the devil out of you and beats the ever-living fucking shit out of her, <laughs> which is kind of normal for back then. And she she goes from being an accuser to, oh, shit, I can't do that. <laughs> so he literally beats her to a point where she realizes she can't be an accuser. But then, because she starts calling out the accusers, the other girls then say she's a witch. So then she backtracks again and says, nope, never mind, I'm an accuser again. <laughs> and calls out her, I don't what was the relationship to her, to, to Proctor? I think she was a servant of him, of his? Uh, honestly, it's pretty confusing. I'm not exactly sure. I don't think it was family. I think it was a servant thing. I don't think she was yeah, a slave, it was, but... No, it was more of a, a server situation. I don't know the exact details because, as we've previously mentioned, this is very hard to keep track of, for one, because it's so involved in everybody, and for two, because it's just not well documented. There's also so many names. There's also a lot of bullshit out there because this has been done in Hollywood a lot, and Hollywood takes a lot of uh, writers' freedoms. And there's actually stories saying that he had an affair with her and all this other stuff. None of that's true. So, no, she... You know, gets the shit beat out of her, goes back and forth like a fuck ping pong ball a couple times. Now she's an accuser, accuses both John Proctor and his wife, who are both high standing citizens within the town. Like, probably well known, everyone likes him. He ran the tavern in the town. Who the fuck doesn't like the guy who runs the bar? <laughs> Especially back then. Life was miserable. What did you do to have fun? Especially as a Puritan. Other than get shit-faced. <laughs> I'm surprised the Puritans even had alcohol, to be honest That's with you. That's true. Satan's juice. So, you've got all these people getting accused. And it really doesn't make sense, at the end of the day, how they're coming up with this information. It's, it's really just people saying, well, this is convenient, and I don't like that person, so they're definitely a witch. But you can't just accuse somebody. You have to come up with a story. And you have to come up with a way to identify whether or not they're a witch. So there were a lot of ways that they tested them, a lot of really intricate ways that made a lot of sense to me when I read them, and I think we should implement them again. Well, so first they were going off of spectral evidence, which literally just means you th somehow they made it into a locked house, maybe, or you thought you saw them turn into a bird or a snake or a cat. And some. Sometimes if you saw a funky shadow. Or if you saw some yeah, weird shadow over their shoulder. But then Massachusetts says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop all this crazy shit. Spectral evidence doesn't fucking count. We need hard evidence. <laughs> they really didn't do that till the end, though. Uh, so before they decided they wanted to base things in science, they were going through these really uh, involved tests. So let's go into that a little bit so you can see what these... Uh, these accused people were really going up against. Because you can't just say, in 17th century Salem, I'm not a witch. 
You have to prove it. So let's go over the first test. I think everybody has kind of heard of this one. It's the swimming test. So a, a witch would be accused and then dragged over to the nearest body of water. They, they strip them down to their underwear, tie them up, and toss them in. So the longstanding belief was that witches were believed to have spurned the sacrament of baptism, as they said. And if that happened, then the water would reject their body and prevent them from sinking. They'd float right to the top like a cork. If you were baptized and you were not a sinner, you'd sink to the bottom. Now, Sounds like a win-win situation. Most of, the, <laughs> most of the time, they would tie a rope around the waist. But it's not a very effective, uh, effective way of saving someone who's, who's drowning tied up. They're still going to sink to the bottom. Uh, I know for my, myself, personally, I'm going to sink to the bottom. Yeah, you're fucked. Jerry's and a witch, you're everyone. you're going to float to the top. <laughs> no, no, I'm not the witch. Oh, yeah. I'm going to die and witch. go to heaven. You'd be the witch floating at the top, and you're going to go get hanged. Yeah, listen, I've seen Jerry try to swim across a river. It wasn't pretty. Uh, Who the so fuck that swims actually derived, with vans on, man? Uh, I do. So witch swimming derived from something called trial by water. This is an ancient practice where suspected criminals and sorcerers were thrown into rushing rivers to allow a higher power to decide their fate. And, you know, of course, that's going to evolve into this crazy shit we see here. Uh, but then the second thing that they really liked to use, and they used a lot specifically in Salem, was the prayer test. And, of course, everything's based on medieval wisdom, and that held that witches were incapable of speaking scripture out loud. So anyone who's accused of being a witch was made to recite Bible sections, usually the Lord's Prayer, and they're not allowed to miss anything or make a mistake. Nope, not at all. So already, most people are fucked. It might seem like a simple sign to them that the suspected witch, you know, if they can't say it, then they're a witch. Uh, it didn't really take into account how many people were illiterate and obviously just about shitting their pants uh, in fear. <clears throat> also poisoned on their gut. So any, any kind of mistake, it's proof of uh, being in league with the devil. But some people didn't have a problem with this. They actually, and George Burroughs, obviously being a reverend, was a perfect example of this. So he went to Gallows Hill and he's standing there with the noose around his neck. And he flawlessly recited the prayer right before his execution. And everyone and he lost did it with, their shit. He did it with conviction. So you'd think, you know, he passed the prayer test. Problems are solved. Nope. Wrong. <laughs> that was actually dismissed as a devil's trick. And they went and hung him anyway. Yep. Oh, my God. He's blasphemous. <laughs> so if you fail the prayer test, you're a witch and you're getting hung. If you pass it, you're a witch and you're just really good at being a witch. So you're getting hung. Like I said, they just wanted to kill the fuck that he, dude, my neighbor, he fucking, he's an asshole. He turns on his truck in the middle of the night, like all this shit. You know what? He's a fucking witch. I want him to die. But wait, he passed test. Nope, nope, nope. Just kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see how this really wasn't based in fact anyway. Uh, but another, another test that they used in court specifically with uh, the girls who started all this was the touch test. And this worked on the premise that victims of any kind of witchcraft would have a special reaction to physical contact with the witch. And how this is any and more in, scientific than the fucking spectral evidence is beyond me. And in the case of the four girls who accused the original three people and then later everybody else, what they would do is they'd blindfold them while they were having these fits in the courtroom. And they would have random people go up and touch them. And if the person was a witch... 
then the uh, fit would stop and they'd calm down. And it was really designed so that they could have Tichuba and the two Sarahs go up and touch them. And of course, when they did, the fit would stop. And they made a feeble attempt at a control group by having random people do it. And of course, because these girls were usually faking, they would stop for them too. And they would just, again, chalk that up to devil's tricks and say, yep, it worked. This, this is the test to use for this exact case. And it's perfect. Uh, then they also had something called witch's cakes, which Tichuba actually made for the girls. So this is uh, a weird counter magic thing that they did. So a witch cake is a supernatural dessert that's used to identify suspected witches. And witch hunters would take a sample of the victim's urine, so in this case it would be the urine of the girls, mix it with rye meal, again, probably more ergot, and then mix it with ashes and bake it into a cake. Not only that, how do, ergot gets processed through your urine, so it's actually to the point where your urine gets you more high. You're doubled up, <laughs> doubled up on the drugs. So what they would do is either feed it to the victim or they'd feed it to a dog because dogs were considered familiars of witches and that they assumed that this would cause the dog to lead them to the witch. So more science-based evidence to collect more witches. I don't see anything wrong with uh, that one. Dogs are great. Another way, another way they identified witches were witches' marks. Uh, yes, the Which would teat. be absolutely anything. That was abnormal. Yeah, literally. Can you so, say at any point in your life after the age of fucking 13 that you didn't have a mark on your body anywhere? No. <laughs> and they would they'd actually even use uh, scars yeah. as evidence because, oh, then if there's a scar here, then you removed a witch's mark. Mm -hmm. uh, but that includes what, what's called a supernumerary nipple or a tattoo. So a supernumerary nipple is just uh, some people have extra nipples. They don't really look like a nipple. But they, they exist. It's just like a little dot on your torso. But it literally moles, that, warts, anything. Absolutely Pimples. anything. And that actually tied directly into the pricking and scratching tests where a witch's mark was supposed to not bleed and not feel pain. So they had actual special uh, highly paid individuals called prickers. And these prickers would go to these accused witches and just stab the ever-living shit out of them with needles. And what they would actually do is they'd keep these special needles that were dull. They couldn't break the skin. And they'd just gently, but obviously in a way that was convincing, stab them in a spot that they could call a witch's mark and say, yep, that didn't hurt them and they're not bleeding. That's a witch. So you had scammers, among other people, conning these people into uh, paying them and then saying, yes, I'm effective. That's a witch. And this is all just building up. So the last way that I found that they were uh, testing witches were with incantations. This was also called charging. And this involved forcing the accused witch to verbally order the devil to let the possessed victim from, uh, come out of their fit or trance. And other people would also use these same words to act as a control group. And the judges would then gauge whether the statements had any effect on the victim's condition. And chargers were famously used in the 16th century with uh, the witch trial of Alice Samuel and her husband and daughter, who were accused of bewitching five girls from the wealthy Throckmorton family, back to family feuds. Uh, during the proceedings, judges forced the Samuels to demand that the devil release the girls from their spell by stating, As I am a witch, so I charge the devil to let Mistress Throckmorton come out of her fit at this present. And when the possessed girls immediately recovered, the Samuels were found guilty and hanged as witches. <laughs> The same kind of thing was going on in Salem. 
I love how all of these are just so factual and scientific that it's, you know, it's uncanny. Even for the time, you have to wonder. There's no way that they didn't know that some of this was bullshit. Oh, people did. The problem is, if you said anything, you were going to be a witch. So the people were fearing calling these girls out. Because if they called them out, no, no, now you're in prison. And that was actually how a lot of the women or and men got into prison in the first place. Is they were calling out the bullshit. Well, that's where we are now. So they uh they used a lot of science <laughs> found a lot of witches <laughs> i love that the the rules they made up as evidence they could literally just you know they could either follow it or not but it just all of it led to your witch <laughs> uh i have reason to believe through our research here that they kind of decided who was a witch beforehand and just watched him and said yeah, you see what they're doing right now? That's a fucking witch. Mm-hmm. It's probably what happened. Uh, that's all anecdotal, though. This, again, it's so murky, it's really hard to say. Yeah, literally, I think one book from the time made it out because when this was all done, and we'll get into that, uh, the Massachusetts government fucking torched anything that had to do with it. Yeah, this is a real embarrassment for them, and I can see why. Grizz, now we see kind of... What built this up, how they decided who was a witch and who wasn't, uh, there was someone in particular who played a, a part in this, uh, the Proctors, I believe. Yeah, so we brought it up a little bit earlier. So the Proctors were the last group of people to die, uh, to be murdered, really, right? The last few people to be hung was John Proctor, John Proctor's wife, I don't have her name, uh, and also uh, the minister, John Burroughs, and one other person, or two other people, I believe. Uh, George Burroughs, that is. George correct. Burroughs, my bad. And can't keep track of these fucking names. Yeah, too many names. They're all too damn similar to too many brothers, sisters, mothers, uncles, whatever. So these last five people to be hung are well in prison. John Proctor's petitioning to the church and everyone's saying, like, what the hell are you doing? This guy's an excellent standing citizen. Like, he's not a he's not a witch. Which goes to the governor of Massachusetts. And he starts to call out this task force he has at the time and says, Hey, uh, this last one seems a little fishy. What, what are we doing here? Like I'm getting a lot of people saying that these people are good people. Why are we, why are we still going after it? And the task force, which consists of Thomas Putnam and two ministers. So of course they're reliable. Feed him a bunch of bullshit that people have actually watched him turn into a specter. So they bring him to the gallows to hang the group. That's where we talked about where the minister literally says the Lord's Prayer. And everyone's shocked, but nope, they still hang him. And John Proctor is actually the last person to be hung that day. They're not being hanged like we know. So many times when when you hear someone has been hanged, what happens is the floor drops out from beneath them. Their neck snaps. It's all nice and done, right? It's quick. Not in this situation. Uh, the way they did it back then was you climbed up a ladder, they put the noose around your neck, and they pushed you off the ladder somewhat gently, so you suffocate to death. So John watches as they kill a, uh, another minister, as they kill two other people, as they kill his wife. John goes, and he calls out the whole fucking town being like, listen, I'm no more a witch than any of the rest of you. This is a bunch of bullshit. But I know you all have your own convictions. I'm ready to die. 
they murder him as well. And he's actually the last person that they kill in the entire whole damn shebang. Because after that, they have one more person that they conv- they accuse. So the last person they, they accuse happens to be the wife of the now governor of Massachusetts. Uh, Phipps' wife? Yeah. Highly suspicious. Now it's inconvenient for them. So Phipps, who this entire time has believed to be himself to be a scientific man, has actually called it out a little bit, but he's letting his task force do his thing because he can't be looked at as a doing wrong. Gets this note that they have accused his wife and literally says, nope, I'm done with this. And heads to the town himself with his wife and calls out the entire town at her trial being like, what the hell is wrong with you? We need to stop this shit now. Mary Spencer Hull. There you go. So he calls out the whole town, tells them what the hell are you doing? This shit ends now. Uh, on a whole, he berates them for God knows how long. Eventually, though, this all ended. And it was ended by some of the major players who started it when they saw how out of hand it was getting, which you see now with William Phipps and his wife being accused. When it affected them directly, it was no longer okay. So Cotton Mather and his father, Increase Mather, brought a lot of this on the area with their ideas. But as it turns out, they did caution people against losing their mind over it in the beginning. And when it became obvious to everybody that the standards for evidence of witchcraft were way too low, both of the Mather men pushed for some reform on witchcraft convictions. And they really reiterated that the standards for evidence should be equal to any other crime, and they would rather see 10 suspected witches walk free than to condemn one innocent person. So now we finally have some sense coming into the story here. And that sentiment was starting to spread, because obviously people were seeing convictions of friends and family they knew weren't witches. And so as public support died down for witch hunting and uh, Minister Cotton Mather spoke out against it and Governor William Phipps' wife was accused, William Phipps decided to dissolve his new court of hearing and deciding on witchcraft convictions. He replaced it with a system a little more civilized and mandated that spectral evidence could not be used in court. Uh, During this weird transition back to reality, trials continued until 1693. And then in May of that year, Phipps pardoned and released anybody still left in prison for witchcraft. And we fast forward a little bit to 1711, after Massachusetts realized how embarrassing the situation was. They actually gave monetary compensation to, I think it was all of the families involved. Anybody whose family was a family member was imprisoned or murdered by the mob. <laughs> They got monetary compensation or some kind of land or some way to make up for what happened. This is also at the point where they find any and all literature that's written on it and Nazi-style burn it. Uh, Good old-fashioned book Mm -hmm. burning. What better way to bring a town together? (laughs) And that, my friends, is uh, the rough outline of what's actually the real story behind the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, And so, Grizz, now that we have that one out of the way, what... What's that noise I hear? Is it my boiler? (laughs) Nope, it's Beyond Bastard. Oh, shit. This is as far as we can go on foot. It's time to buckle up because we're going Beyond Bastards. Welcome to Beyond Bastards yet again. Grizz, what do you got for us this week? I have no updates myself. This week on Beyond Bastard, Jerry's an idiot. Uh, Tell me more. Last week, I can't believe it. 
as you all know, Jerry loves the Matrix. He literally pledges himself to Keanu. I don't know how he forgot to bring up the human battery cell. The most potent form of energy. Like, come on, how did you miss that? <laughs> I was just really, really uh, stuck on those fusion cores. Uh, so yes, takeaway, Jerry's an idiot. Uh, also, <laughs> we let in with who is the who puts in the most money into research and renewables, and I don't think we ever actually answered it in the episode. You might be right. Who does do it? No, I am right. <laughs> so, just so you guys know, you'd think it would be the United States. You're wrong. It's China. I never would have thought, I mean, granted, China's got a shit ton of money. But yeah, China's put in the most money, by far, into renewable uh, resources. Then followed by Europe. Well, if China stays on its... If China stays on its current track, we're all going to be Chinese in 100 years anyway. Technically, you're already there. They're taking over. It's true. I think 90% of the things I own were made there. You don't just buy American, Jerry? It's very hard to do. It is very hard to do nowadays. I try to do it whenever possible. Very hard. Uh, it's not exactly easy. At, le at least I make sure I don't buy my American flags made in China. Is that a thing? Yeah, of course. I didn't know. I buy my American flags in America. <laughs> You're an idiot. I mean, literally, literally, what's made in America anymore? WeatherTech. Sweet. If you don't have WeatherTech, not a sponsor. We don't have any sponsors. We don't make money. Uh, WeatherTech's awesome. Most Americans are made in America. That's true. Uh, yeah, most. Can you say most? Yes. <laughs> oh, all right, fine. But other than that, not, not too much anymore. Awesome. Uh, hopefully that's changing. So uh, what are we talking about next week then? Uh, Jess, next week, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the Troubles in Ireland. Which I have no clue what that is. Jerry told me we're talking about the Troubles in Ireland, and I said, what the fuck's that? <laughs> we're actually going to have a special guest who actually grew up in the Troubles in Ireland. And to give you a brief idea of what that means, the Troubles is just what they call it in Ireland. It's essentially a small civil war that they had. Uh, you can kind of equate it to... Uh, what do you call it? Braveheart? No, that was a movie. No. Oh. Uh, the Civil Rights Movement here in the United States. Oh, okay. But that's going to be a good episode. Uh, I'll tell you guys all about the special guest when he's on next week. Yes, I can't wait to meet him. Thanks for listening this week. As always, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. Go over to Facebook, leave a like. We are at Beautiful B Podcasts. And if you could, leave an iTunes review for us. It's always appreciated. That's how we can make this thing bigger. Find us on Twitter at, at @podbastards. Tune in next week and listen to us put another shrimp on the bobby. They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs>